Father, I, I would ask that you would help us to remember these things from your word. The things that we should believe, we should teach, we should adhere to. For it is so important in this day and age, for there is no absolute truth according to society, at least many members in it. And we ask that you would help us to be grounded on the rock, that we'd be firm, that we'd be solid, that we'd understand who we are and who you are and what the condition of mankind is. And are we lost or are we saved? And what does eternity hold? All of these things, Lord, help us to have a care, a love for those who are lost and also a love for those who are in the body that they are built up in the most holy faith so that we might be pleasing to you, holy, set apart, doing your will in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're familiar with some of the teaching of the Christian faith, you would say, well, there's Jesus Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the second person of the Trinity, and he was born of a virgin, and he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and he was here as a sacrifice to die for our sins, and his blood was shed for the remission of sins. His body was given for us, and he rose from the dead on the third day, and he ascended back to the Father, and he promised that he would come back, and that's the basics of the Christian faith. And if somebody doesn't hold to those basics, or only a couple of those points, they are a cult. They are not what is known as part of Orthodox Christianity. Orthodox means what is right. And we want to make sure we're holding to what is right. Now, during the time, uh, the early years of the church, going on into the 4th century, and they tried to codify for people that could not read, could not understand the Bible. They tried to give them this codification of what we believe. And there was the Nicene Creed, which is a little more verbose than the Apostles' Creed. But if you listen, I'm going to just recite to you the exact Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He ascended into hell, or descended into hell, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit spirit the holy catholic church the communion of saints the forgiveness of sins the resurrection of the body and life everlasting amen and so that's what people would recite if if someone would come up during the early years of the church and say what do you believe i believe in god the father maker of heaven and earth and in jesus christ his only son conceived by the holy spirit in the virgin mary you'll be able to recite all of that now most of us in here we probably don't have the Apostles' Creed memorized. And by the way, another parenthetical thought, when it says the Holy Catholic Church, it's a small C, not a big C. It's not referring to a particular sect of Christianity. It's referring to the church universal from all time in all places when it says Holy Catholic Church. And so we probably can't recite that at a moment's notice. But the scriptures here in the book of Acts, it is foundational just like the book of Genesis is foundational. In the book of Genesis, we had God. God presents himself. Who is God? He is the creator of everything that exists. This is a cardinal doctrine of Judaism and Christianity. And then what about the fall, the original sin, the original couple, Adam and Eve, and what happened after the fall? The result of that and the sacrifice for sin and the mention of the Messiah and the plan of redemption, all of that is revealed to us in the book of Genesis. Well, in the book of Acts, we have the Genesis 
of the church. And what is the church all about? And there's particular things that have to happen in the life of a believer if they think they belong to the church or they think that they are saved. The number one thing would be repentance. Now, I went over repentance last time. And repentance is just turning away from what you believe. 180 degrees, a change of mind. Now, the people, when they heard Peter's message and they were indicted by Peter and they were cut to the heart. Remember, I talked about that. Once they were cut to the heart, they said in verse 37, Brothers, what shall we do? How can we get rid of this guilt, this burden that we have, that we have sinned so much before God and we have sinned against God? What can we do? And Peter, uh, Peter in verse 38, he told them what to do. Four things that are in there. Now, there's eight things total plus one. Just remember, eight plus one. That if somebody says, are you a Christian? What do you believe? You believe in repentance. Repentance is what brings salvation. And this idea that we would get before God and we would confess our sins and we would turn the other way, that's what repentance is all about. Then the second thing he says in verse 38 is baptism. So we believe in baptism. Now, in the Old Testament, there was baptism, as proselyte baptism that they would perform. And it doesn't save us. Remember, I'll go through that again. The baptism doesn't save us. But it is something that as we repent, then we get baptized. And why do we do that? We do that for the forgiveness of sins. And so if somebody asks you, what do you believe? I believe in repentance. I believe that somebody who repents must be baptized. I believe we do that for the remission of sins. And I believe that we will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those four things, Peter says, and it's foundational for us, that's what we do, that's what we receive as believers. It's foundational for us. We don't have to do a hajj. We don't have to go to Jerusalem. We don't have to go to Rome. We don't have to do any of that stuff. It's these four things that he lays out. And then in verse 42, what did they devote themselves to? The apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. So it's those eight things. If you don't remember anything else about the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, you can say, I believe in repentance. I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Or excuse me. I believe in baptism by water. I believe in the forgiveness of sins because of my repentance. I believe that baptism doesn't save us. I also believe this idea that we will get the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us. I believe also that a Christian must adhere to the apostles' doctrine. And the Christian must be involved in fellowship. And not only must he be involved in fellowship, but there must be the breaking of bread and then prayer. Those are the things that we're supposed to do and be able to communicate to others somebody asks you what you believe that's it those eight things and what do you think covers all of those it's love and if you put all that together in the mix that's all you have to remember and we go out and we share because we love god first and we have his love for the people who are perishing and if we meet somebody who is already a believer we have love for them to become the disciple that they should They should be built up in the most holy faith. 
So remember this idea. I'm going to digress here on repentance. I told you that repentance is what leads to salvation, but it's not the baptism that leads to salvation. And I'm going to give you uh, two reasons on that. But first, the repentance. It's the mind, heart, and the will. I know, according to your mind, our mind, that we can be forgiven. I know it. I understand it. I intellectually apprehend it. Then there's the heart or the emotional element where you say, I want to be saved. And if you're witnessing to somebody, you could go through these things. You could say, do you understand that Jesus can give you eternal life? And they say, yes, I understand it. And that you can receive that eternal life if you just ask for it. Yes, I understand. Then you ask them, do you want to live forever? And they will say, yes, I want to live forever. And then there is the last thing, the will, the volition, where you say, I willingly submit to this. I understand. I want to be saved. And now my will, I give over. That's what repentance is. Now, this idea of baptism, that baptism saves you because it's kind of deceiving in the English how it reads out. And that's why the Church of Christ holds to that. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Well, that's not exactly how it works. It, It says like in light of. Uh, the repentance and for the sake of being forgiven of your sins you get baptized and there is a construction and this is where it gets a little more technical there are rules in the greek just like there's rules in the english you know a plural verb goes with a plural noun that type of thing and a singular verb goes with a singular noun and that's what happens in the greek language here when it refers to baptism, this idea of repentance and forgiveness, the verb and the noun, they're both plural when it comes to repent and forgiveness or your for remission of sins, for your remission of sins. Those are plural, but the baptism is singular. Now, that's just being technical. It means that the forgiveness and the repentance are not also hinged on the baptism. Now, I know you, you go, now, what did he just say about that? If... This is for those people who want to dive a little deeper and have a rebuttal. It just has to do with the plural and the singular in the verse that they have to match. If somebody was being baptized, it would have to be plural baptisms if they were going to be saved. Just like repentance is plural, just like your forgiveness, that has to be plural. Those things have to match. Just like there are rules in English, there are rules in the Greek as well. And that's how you can tell what pertains to what. What is the antecedent? What is the predicate? All of those things. Remember diagramming sentences and putting all that down. I never did very well at that. I kind of hated that. I, I ended up loving it a little bit later. But this idea, you have to do that in the Greek too. You have to dive back in or listen to people who understand Greek and they dive into that stuff. So you have a couple of reasons uh, to believe that baptism is not the reason that we get saved. And this repentance has to deal with the godly sorrow we know that in second corinthians chapter 7 verse 10 godly sorrows brings repentance which leads to salvation and leaves no regret but worldly sorrow brings death and so the godly sorrow somebody has to understand that they have sinned against god and they realize the egregiousness the ominousness i guess is if i can make up a word a snicklet that is there it's this idea that is so overwhelming 
that there is a judgment to come and you have to feel sorry for the sin, the violation that you have in your heart. At some point, every believer has to be able to weep before God and say, this, this is my sin. I am so sorry, Lord. I've sinned against no one but you. You are the one I have violated or committed a violation against. And I know I need to repent of that. And that godly sorrow is what God looks upon with compassion. But if we have worldly sorrow, we got caught. Oh, no. Oh, I feel so bad. There are so many sites and videos and information which is out there. And we can be inundated. And I try to keep up on just about everything that is out there. And and so I see a lot of material. And in the police cars, you know, they have these cameras that are in there. And the camera usually faces forward out the windshield. But it's recording the voice. It's recording what's going on. And this guy was arrested in this video that I saw. He was arrested because they found a bunch of drugs in his trunk. And when he was in the car, he started screaming and yelling like, Oh, no, I have been caught. And he was just really fearful. He was screaming so loud. The police heard him, came back to the car and said, Are you okay? And he goes, well, yeah, I guess so. And then they walked away and he just started grieving and wailing again like he had been caught. And he knew he was going to go to jail as a result of that. And that is what godly sorrow is. He has been caught. Or excuse me, that's what worldly sorrow is. He had been caught. But the godly sorrow, it directs itself towards God. And it has this grief, this mourning that is on the inside. So that's what leads to repentance which saves us and as a disciple we then get baptized and we have the forgiveness of sins we understand that intellectually and we receive the gift of the holy spirit then our next move is to be in fellowship do not forsake the gathering together other brethren as is the habit of some and all the more as you see a day approaching that is hebrews ten twenty five. anybody who calls themselves a christian needs to be in fellowship somewhere And I believe that needs to be like a Sunday morning church, not just a a Bible study somewhere. They need to be attending a church, being involved in fellowship. And when it comes to this repentance and baptism, now I'm not going to give you a whole treatise on baptism, but there are many baptisms in the scripture. You know, some people think, well, there's Water baptism, right? We get baptized. Well, there are many more. The baptism of repentance, fire, baptism of the spirit, baptism of suffering, baptism of the dead, baptism by water, baptism into Jesus, baptism into Moses, baptism in the cloud, and baptism in the sea. All of those things. And you go, there are that many baptisms in the scripture? Yes, and some of them are figurative, and some of them are literal. Like, for instance, the baptism by fire. Jesus talked about this baptism of fire by fire that he is going to have to go through. And we as well, when we get to heaven, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, wood, hand, stubble, gold, silver, and precious stones, we're going to be baptized in fire, so to speak. And it can be a trial of tribulation. It can be something to purify us, but it's a baptism by fire. Then there's the baptism of the Spirit, which I already exhausted. I'm not going to go through that again. And then the uh, baptism of the Spirit, which can lead to tongues. And then there's the baptism of the Spirit, which is the second event. And the baptism of suffering, which I already mentioned. The baptism for the dead, which is talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Not that we're supposed to be baptized for the dead. 
Because once you make a decision on this life, that's it. Everything is settled. If you choose not to follow Christ, your life is settled. You can't be baptized vicariously for somebody else who has already died, thinking that there's some merit that is transferred to them because of the act that you do. It, it can't happen that way. And when Paul talks about this, he's talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is the resurrection chapter. He's saying that even the pagans who are baptized for the dead think that there is some type of reward in the future. And that's why they do it. That's why the Mormons do it. That's why they have the Ancestry.com. They brought that up so you can be baptized for your ancestors who have previously died and gone on. We're not supposed to be baptized for the dead. That was a pagan practice. But some people in, quote, the cults have adopted this. And then there's the baptism in water. And it doesn't save us. First, or excuse me, Second Peter, or First Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22, it says, It's not the removal of dirt from the body, but a pledge of a good conscience towards God. And it's the baptism that now saves us. We are baptized into Christ. We, we have a baptism of repentance. That's what John the Baptist preached. But the water baptism, it's just an outward manifestation of what has taken place on the inside so people can see what is taking place. And I believe it should be public or there should be witnesses. It's just like the Muslim who does the uh, shahada, they, there should be two witnesses of you saying their salvific prayer. For us, it's the baptism. People should be witnesses to the fact that you're confessing Christ. And, of course, that's placing you under the water and bringing you back up. I think that's the way you're supposed to do it, the sprinkling and the, the uh, pouring of the water. If it's the only way possible, okay, I can go along with that. But we're supposed to be fully dunked to recognize that Jesus Christ was buried and rose from the dead. That's what it represents for us, and it should be public the baptism into moses and the cloud and all, all of those things that was figurative of what the jews went through we are not baptized into moses we're not baptized into the cloud and we want to make sure are being baptized into jesus it's also figurative so to speak we're baptized into him we are one body with jesus christ we are part of his body and so we want to understand what baptism is all about it's simply referring to this in acts chapter 2 Water baptism. That's what's being referred to. We repent because of godly sorrow that we have, and we get baptized. Then we understand forgiveness of sins. We get the gift of the Holy Spirit. So those are the eight things. Now, this is not just for those who are hearing the message, this idea of salvation, because that's what brings salvation. It is for everyone that is listening to Peter at the time, for their families, and for everyone to come in all time. So the message that Peter is giving is repentance, baptism, forgiveness of sins, gift of the Holy Spirit. Just a few verses later, the apostles' doctrine. We hold to what the Bible teaches, and we want to make sure we're involved in fellowship, and we want to make sure that we're breaking bread and we're involved in prayer with love covering over all of that. I keep on repeating this because I want you guys to get it. I want you to understand this is what we're supposed to do as being members of the church. Now, in verse 41, it says, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, basics on the apostles' doctrine, I gave you many of those. 
Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, the Trinity, God the Father, who always uh, wants the Son to be glorified, and the Son always points back to the Father, and the Holy Spirit always points to Jesus Christ and their relationship between them, three persons, one God. That is one of the cardinal doctrines of the Christian faith. It's not a negotiable doctrine. Another one is his return. Uh, the, it's called the parousia, his, his second advent, coming back to earth. That is a cardinal doctrine of the Christian faith. He's going to come back, and he was also born of the virgin. That's a cardinal doctrine of the Christian faith. If somebody doesn't believe that stuff, they're not holding to the traditions of the Christian faith. They believe something different. Like the one is Pentecostals, there's only this modalism idea that there's one guy who is God, so to speak, and he appears as the Father, appears as the Holy Spirit, appears as the Son. It doesn't work that way. That's a heresy uh, that is there. Also some heresies that Jesus wasn't a physical form. He only appeared to be. He was only spirit. And then there was one that, no, he's not spirit at all. He's only physical. And he made this ascent and kind of like Buddha, just going up the ladder, so to speak. That's also a heresy. We want to hold to proper doctrine or adding to salvation that this idea of works. And this is a problem I have with the Catholic Church. They do teach the fundamentals of the Christian faith, but they add to it that they have to have confession, that you have to participate in the sacraments, and you have to have the last rites, and you have to go through confirmation, and you have to have baptism as an infant, all of those things. That stuff is added to the scriptures. And Paul said, I wish that person would be a curse that adds those things. We are saved by grace through faith. That's how we get saved. It's simply believing. We can't add anything to it whatsoever. In one of my witnessing times uh, with this one guy I was telling you about who might have been a deist, I said, if God doesn't exist, if he's not here, if he didn't set up a moral law of what right and wrong is, and he has some different views on morality, I said, what's the point? He goes, what do you mean, what's the point? And I said, well, you do all this stuff, why? How does it benefit you if there is no God, if there is no heaven? What, what does that do for you? It does nothing for you. You might as well just live like a heathen. The antinomians which are out there and the Epicureans and all these people in the, back in the time of Jesus and before and they just gave in to every lust of the flesh that they could possibly imagine. What's the point for tomorrow? Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die? What's the point? If there is no God, if there is no judgment... And he just thought about it for a little bit. And I'm continuing the conversation with him, you know, just dropping little seeds, pebbles in the shoe, that type of thing. And and that's what we hold to. We hold to these doctrines. What is right and what is wrong? What is moral and what is immoral? And I'm going to tell you, the more we express ourselves, especially today, the more pushback we're going to receive. And if we don't participate in what the culture is doing, people will end up hating us because we will not conform and something is going to have to be done about us. And I think there will be something done about us. We're going to be raptured and we'll be out of their hair. And then the Holy Spirit will be removed because, well, he's here, but we are the ones that influence the world. And the Holy Spirit works through us to do that. When we are removed, that uh, influence is removed as well. Then the 144,000 come, the two witnesses. They are the witnesses at the time. But the world will say, finally, we get to do what we want to do. And by the way, to 
What is the um, phrase that they have in politics? Don't let a crisis go to waste. <clears throat> Will it be a crisis when we're gone? The rapture? Oh, you betcha. There's going to be millions of people missing. And it's going to be a crisis. What better time to install all these curbs and rows and hedges and make people conform? And so there will be this huge crisis that will involve ushering in the Antichrist. And, and we know it's being set up for that. And we can see the evil rising in this last days. Now it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now let me ask you this. Do you think you're devoted to Christ? I got to this passage I go, what does devoted mean? And so I looked it up. It means loyal, dedicated, dutiful, faithful, staunch, constant, committed, ceaseless, incessant, nonstop, perpetual, running, unbroken, unceasing, uninterrupted, continuous. Is that how you look at Christ, your devotion to him? Are you like, no one is going to stop me? And you're going forward, you just keep pushing for Christ. How many times you go, okay, I'm tired. I just, I don't want to concentrate on that anymore. You know, when I'm listening to books or if I read a book, it's like, okay, I can only do that so long. And then I have to close it and just think about other things, listen to news or whatever. But Christ wants us, like these individuals here, to be devoted, just to be sold out. Everyone knows you're a believer. When you show up, they either say, oh, there's a light, or they say, oh, here he comes again. You know, they, that's what we are to be to the world. Not, not in an obnoxious way where they go, oh, I don't want to hear it again. Now, I, I think it got to a point, even in my own family, my brother, uh, he, he married and divorced, and he got married again. And my brothers went to her and say, when you meet Bill, he's going to try to convert you. Okay, yeah, I'll go with that. You know, it's it's fine. Yeah, I want everybody to be saved. I want my family to be there. I, I want to be a witness, but I don't want to be obnoxious to the people who I'm witnessing to. I want to engage on the proper level. Not give too much. Not beat them down. Not use Christianese, but just say, hey, look at the world. What's going on? It's bad. It's really bad. And there's this thing called sin. And you, you know that God can give you wisdom of how to communicate this to others. And so are we loyal and dedicated, nonstop, perpetual running? You should do, just like I need to do, a self-evaluation. How much do I love Jesus? How much am I willing to sacrifice myself, my cares, wants, and desires for his sake? And then when it comes to the apostles' doctrine, I've given you several ideas on the doctrines that we had hold to and there are many i have this sheet that deals with all these ologies whether it's the synology harmoniology which is their soteriology or ecclesiology all of these things it's a huge list of all these theologies which are there and we've named them that come out of the church the the christians who study these things but then there's the fellowship now what is fellowship the word in the Greek is koinonia. But what, what does it look like? Is it where you just get together, you hug each other, you pat each other on the back, and it's all good. Good to see you. Yeah, how are you doing? How are the kids? How's the family? How's the job? How, how's your life going? And that type of thing. Is that what it is? It's more than that. 
in scripture in the book of Romans there are a few examples of this it says they were devoted to one another that's what fellowship is you're devoted to one another uh, if you think of a, a marriage you're devoted to your spouse right but we're also supposed to be devoted to others in the larger context of the world we're to be devoted to anyone remember the question came up for jesus who's my neighbor it was anyone who is out there is your neighbor and you're supposed to be devoted to them devoted to them to get them the gospel to help them whatever they need but for us specifically as christians it's fellowship it's we're devoted to each other in our pursuit of christ we're also in romans chapter 12 verse 10 to honor one another Believers are to honor each other, pay respect to each other. We're to live in harmony with each other, according to Romans chapter 12, verse 16, and 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. We are simply to live in such a way where we're not arguing and berating each other. I got an email Kim sent me that came through the website, and a guy wanted to know about the day of the Lord. And he posed it in a way that it's just a question. And I said, well, this is what it is. And he came back and, you know, when uh, you get an email back and there's capital letters and words, they're yelling at you, you know, if it, that's what happened. So he, he did that as a ruse. He asked me a question as a ruse to just lambast me like I wasn't believing the right thing. And there were capital letters in there. And this is what I said. And I, I could just about hear it coming from the other side. And I go, okay, I might engage him again. You know, I do, sometimes you get people like that. And the first question I want to ask them is, where do you fellowship? Because a lot of times these guys don't. They're, they're just all by themselves and everyone else is wrong. They're like a Joseph Smith. All the churches are wrong and I'm going to start a new way. And, and so I'll probably engage them. But we're supposed to be in harmony, not yelling at each other over text or over emails or on the phone, however we might do it. But we're to live with each other in harmony. We're also to accept each other. Romans chapter 15, verse 7. If somebody comes in, we're to be accepting of them coming in. Of course, we're supposed to be discerning. We want to make sure we don't get any wolves in sheep's clothing. But we're to accept one another just for who they are. Not be critical of them. You know, not... not not say something like, well, that's just Bill. That's the way he is, you know, and, and you just accept all the flaws that are there. That's true, you do, but we don't want to be taken by surprise. We, we don't want to be deceived in any way. And in our conversation going back and forth, we don't want to exasperate each other. And like if we get in conversations about eschatology, we can do that all day long and we don't have to start getting angry about each other if we have differing views. We can just talk calmly to each other. And then there's a way that you can prod people, you know, get their goat, so to speak. And we're not supposed to do that. <clears throat> Another parenthetical example here. There's this, um, <clears throat> I came across uh, scamming the scammers. I don't know if you've seen that, where people... <clears throat> on the internet, there's actually a group of people that are dedicated to going after the scammers. And a lot of times the scammers are located in India or Pakistan. 
and they, they get on the internet and they contact you and they said that there's money available for you and they end up taking money out of your bank account by the way they do it, the circuitous route of getting gift cards and they claim money goes into the bank account and it just, there's just some nefarious ways that they do that. And this one young woman, she was oh, so great. I've seen a couple of these. She gets on the call center in India and she's going back and forth with the guy and she just claims to be ignorant, kind of stupid. Like, what do you mean I'm not supposed to click on that? I just clicked on that. What's wrong with that? I'm only supposed to transfer $500. Why I transferred $5,580? What am I supposed to do? And it goes into her account. You know, this money goes into her account. And then they want her to transfer it out of the account or go to a store like a Target and get a gift card and send the gift card back to that. It's just a way to get money from you. Don't be deceived by that kind of stuff. And the guys, she was so good at it, the guys on the other side were screaming at her, cussing at her, couldn't believe it. She's laughing her head off, but these guys are just being prodded by her. Oh, it, it's just, I get a sick sense of satisfaction out of watching that stuff. <clears throat> and it's so good. And we're not supposed to do that. Some people, they do that in Christendom. They just want to prod. They just want to exasperate people and see I'm right and you're wrong. And, and they just want to dominate. And we're not supposed to do that. We can have the conversations and we can, quote, agree to disagree on the non-essentials. But we don't do that on the essentials. We must agree. And if we don't agree on the essentials, we break fellowship. But everything else, it doesn't matter. Let's have the conversation. A little fun, a little badminton going back and forth, you know, a little ping pong. It's okay. We can do that as long as you can do it without aggravating the person that you're talking to. And then we're supposed to serve one another in love. You know, the foot washing thing or in Galatians chapter 5 verse 13, we are to serve others Because of what Christ has done for us, we do it for them as well. Be kind and compassionate to one another, Ephesians 4.32. Admonish one another. Now, there is a time for rebuke, but admonish is, you need to do this. You need to be in fellowship. You need to be reading your Bible. You need to be involved in prayer. This is what God would have you do. Let me help you with this. I want to be praying for you. I want to encourage you in this. That's an admonishment. It's not a rebuke like, boy, you have so blown it and you deserve to be shamed for this. That's kind of the rebuke. But the admonishment, we're to admonish one another, encourage one another. First Thessalonians 5.11, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, offer hospitality and, of course, love one another. And this offer hospitality, that means you're able to take somebody in and, and you house them for a while, you feed them, whatever you need to do. Don't get caught up in when's the end date of the hospitality. Uh, you know, there, there were guidelines in the New Testament times that you couldn't stay very long as a traveling evangelist at somebody's house, and they kind of enforced that back at the time. And we're to do things within reason, assist people in what they need, but not let us be taken advantage of where people keep coming back to the well over and over and over. Now, there are some people that just cannot be helped. They are in such a state mentally that there is no hope for them and they need assistance and it is a burden, it is tough and we're supposed to offer that assistance to those who cannot help themselves. 
and especially as we see the drug culture taking off, uh, that is going to become more and more relevant and prevalent for us. And we have to make decisions on how we will help. <clears throat> but for the most part, we are not just supposed to continue to assist people. But this hospitality, feed them, clothe them, shelter them, whatever we can do. Then there's the breaking of bread. This is sharing a meal and what they did in the New Testament. <clears throat> and there's another reason why Calvary Chapel has also been known as Calvary Chapel. Uh, it, because we'll bring some good food in and have a, a fellowship, time of fellowship and a potluck. And home fellowships do this on a regular basis. <clears throat> and we're supposed to do that, breaking bread. But it's always in the context of worship. It's always in the context of we have something to share, which is Christ. And we can have the regular secular conversations. How's the family? How's the kids? How's the job? But we also want to focus on Christ and what he has done or some counsel that he might be able to deliver to us. So that's the breaking of bread. You break the bread. You have the soup. You have the casseroles. You have the pies, the cheesecakes, all of those things. That's good. But you sit and talk and see how each each other is doing you know and then there's a prayer there's corporate prayer and individual prayer but in here in the context it's prayer in fellowship like on sunday mornings we pray we know tuesdays and mondays uh, there's prayer going on in the church that's what the lord calls us to then in verse 43 it says everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles and all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. <clears throat> and so they, they took of their assets and they gave those assets, whether cash or some physical material thing, and they gave it to somebody else as they had need. In this church, if we see anybody in need, we're supposed to step up. Now, it begins first with the individual. The individual hears of the need. We assist them in that need individually. <clears throat> then if there's a group like a home fellowship, somebody in the home fellowship is in need, we assist them as a group. If that's not taken care of there, then there's the corporate responsibility of the church. The church takes care of them, whatever they might need to assist them. And again, that's not supposed to be an ongoing month-to-month -month thing unless it's a widow who is truly in need inside the body that has no family, no means of assistance. We are supposed to help them in that particular case. <clears throat> but we give of our goods, of our wealth, to assist others. This is a characteristic of those who are Christians. And every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. This is every day. Now, we meet together... Uh, twice a week, once a week, three times a week. It just depends on what activity we might be involved in. But we are not getting together every single day. But the Jews did that, and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. This is what fellowship is. You get together. You talk. You ask somebody, a couple over to your house, and you have dinner or you have lunch. You just spend time with each other. That's why it's so important, you know, the fellowship hall it's just not a meeting hall. It's where the believers get together. Remember, it's the apostles' doctrine. It's the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. All of those things. If you have the opportunity to pray for someone, do it. And then verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so as we participate in these things, the Lord adds. He sees the love that people have for one another. I, I can tell you over the years... The people in this church, if somebody visits, they talk about how friendly 
you guys are. I don't think I've ever had a report of, I'm never going back there. You know who I talked to? They were so sour. Oh, I couldn't believe I was having a conversation with them. I couldn't wait to get out of there. I've never, if I can recall over 30 years, I can never remember a time where that has happened. That's a testimony to you guys and who you are. Now, they may have said that about me. You know, know, there there have been a couple of occasions where I've said, why are you here and what are you doing? Like, for instance, the Calvary Chapels, occasionally we talk. And uh, I've talked to my pastor and other pastors, and we give them warning, or they give me warning. There's someone going around to the churches. Beware. This is their name. And sure enough, we've had that a couple of times. they, They just want to come in and fleece the flock. And as soon as I know that they're coming, and if they show up and I know their name, it's pretty much DEFCON 4. I, I go right after them and say, can, can I talk to you a little bit? And what are you here for? And I know one church, this, this person was in it. And what was it? Six months, they moved five times because they couldn't get along with the people that managed the place that they were renting. And they were a problem person inside the church. And they constantly asked for help inside the church. Same thing here. We've had people that have gone through the body of Christ taking money from people. And then I got word of this particular instance. And it took five or six times for people being fleeced. And then it came to the church like, can you help us out? Wait, wait, have you been helped out before? Well, yeah, a couple of times. And so we started checking like, whoa, this is not good. Thousands of dollars ended up changing hands. And we have to be aware of that stuff. And so the Lord will add to the numbers daily if, if we simply are faithful to believe in the idea of repentance and salvation. All these eight things that I gave you, we, we have to hold to that. That's what the church is supposed to be about. That's what the church is doing. We get involved and we get baptized and we baptize others. We have the forgiveness of sins that we understand, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. If you go away with nothing else, just remember those things and all covered over with the blanket of love. We know that 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 13, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these things is love. My prayer for you guys is that you're able to walk away established in the faith. You understand the task which lies before us. You understand what salvation is. You're able to communicate it to others. And for those who are already saved, you're able to offer a word of encouragement because you know what the apostles' doctrine is. And you sit down, you have fellowship with them. You even take them out to a meal or to have coffee, that type of thing. That's what God wants us to do why because we're going to need each other as time goes on it's going to get rougher and and not because i'm a doom and gloom guy wearing a sandwich board saying the end is near repent well the end is near and we need to repent that type of thing but we also want to make the gospel attractive and so that's our task may the lord give you the wisdom and insight to do this to reach a lost and dying world and encourage fellow believers let's pray Father, we, we thank you for your word. We saw what Peter did and how he explained to us what we need to know, how we need to participate in the body. We pray that you would help us to be devoted, faithful, just unstoppable in our pursuit of you. Father, we know that you are gracious towards us. You are merciful. You forgive us when we ask you to for the sins that we commit. And we are so faithless when that happens. But we know you are faithful. So build us up, Lord. Really fill us up with your spirit that we may continue to do your will until we see you. 
In Jesus' name, and the church said, please stand.